You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. This episode, it's a little bit different than other episodes because what we did was we asked people in our society of normal people what kind of questions they have, what kinds of things they want to talk about. And so we got a great list of questions. And here's the thing. Rather than just grabbing randomly questions, we collected them around what we think is a very clear theme. And I would say it's a theme of balance. So, you know, if this is true, what do we do with this right. kind a, of thing? It's like a this or that. Right. Both of these things seem to be present. How do we handle when the answer is not black or white? It's right. not this or that. So it's balance, but it's also wisdom because we often talk about wisdom as navigating between things that seem like opposites, but and, basically living in a world where right. it's not black and white. And, and discerning like paths to take with, there aren't always clear answers to all these questions, but the questions are very good ones of this balance and wisdom. And and I like balance. You know, sometimes balance is used the wrong way, Jared, for, at least for my taste, because, oh, that's too extreme. You have to be more balanced. In other words, you've got to pull back, which is just a way of saying, I don't like what you said. Mm-hmm. come to where I am and I'm balanced, right? It's not about achieving some balance where we have, you know, a perfect uh, answer or thinking process about things, but it is recognizing that there are tensions that build up with some of these things. And how do you embrace one thing and not let go of something else that you actually think is valuable? I, we could call this paradox too, or something like that. That's mm-hmm. that's sort of what we're trying to get at with some of these questions. Yeah. It's, I like that what you said, it's navigating the tensions. And that's what these questions all have in Mm -hmm. common. There are people who love people well who are not religious. Now, some would say God is working through them anyway. Which is fine. I actually agree with. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Yeah, but there's no overt attempt to worship God and I will now reflect this. I just think we're overthinking all this. It doesn't even have to go there. Just try to follow God by not being a jerk. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and She said, can I try some? And so I I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. So the first one's from Mylene, and a few of these actually use the word balance, and this is right. one of them. 
So, Paul talks about the foolishness of Christ to the wise of the world. Would you connect that to the ideas you have about the sin of certainty? How do you balance trust for the unexplainable with curiosity and rationalism? It feels too easy to veer off into rationalism and curiosity killed the cat land or swing the other way into blind trust and cultism. The way I formulate this question is really mystery versus reason. When do we say, oh, it's a mystery, and when is that a cop-out for not using our brains? Gee, Myling, you, it's like you've known me my whole life here. Yes. <laughs> and I live with that tension, Jared. I think you do, too. I, I think for me, one way I bring those two into conversation is it's the rational, analytical part of me that has taught me the need to embrace mystery in some sense, because our reasoning will only go so far. If you're going to be a person of faith, I think we have to live with that tension, right? So, you know, how does that relate to the sin of certainty? Yeah, the sin of certainty doesn't mean, I mean, you know, I wrote a book about that a few years ago, but it doesn't mean don't think. It just means not knowing and not being sure, which is to say recognizing the limitations of our ability to understand is a very healthy thing. And I think keeping those two things in front of me for me is a very helpful way of proceeding with my existence. I have thoughts on this, and I don't think I've really articulated my thoughts, so I'm going to be processing out loud here a little bit. But I think there is a definite difference between uninformed ignorance and the limitations of reason. So, I think this is best articulated in the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is a, a psychological phenomenon that basically says the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know, which essentially- And the converse. Yeah. The, the other side of that is people who are barely introduced to a field often have a very high estimate of what they know. So I always think of it in terms of going to college. Your freshman year of college, you're starting to learn things and you start getting a really big head. You think you're smarter than anyone because you're introduced to all these concepts and ideas. And then you get to second year, third year. By the time you go to a master's program, you realize, oh, I know very little about this field. Mm -hmm. Like your first year in your master's program is very different than your first year in college. Mm -hmm. The first year in college, Dunning-Kruger effect is in full swing. Mm -hmm. First year, know a little bit, just enough to think I'm the smartest person alive. First year of master's <laughs> program, oh, I realize I know very little even about this one particular field. So that I think is different, this uninformed ignorance versus a limitation of reason. And sometimes I think we get those confused. Mm -hmm. So that whenever we're talking about how do we make sure we're not veering off into rationalism, which again, I wouldn't articulate it that way. I would say kind of right. capital R- or scientism or something like that, where, right. we, where we think we can know everything about everything. And when do we not just trust and end up being in a cult? For me, the difference is this difference between uninformed ignorance and the limitations of reason. I'm always going to use my brain to its max capacity. Mm -hmm. And I realize that when I do that, I'm still going to come to the edge of human knowledge in any particular field, in any particular area, I will be either limited by my own capacity because I'm just not smart enough to understand or the field itself will be limited. Like you could take the smartest person in the universe about cosmology and how the universe works. There are still going to be things we don't know. Right. And so it's a double whammy. Not only am I not that person, the field itself, even the smartest person doesn't know everything. Mm -hmm. So, but that's mm -hmm. not, that's, I think to your point, that's not the same thing as not using our brain. 
Right. And, and I think people can easily exploit or manipulate mystery and uncertainty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like we introduce it too soon. It's like, no, no, no. There are answers. Not mystery, God. Right. There are answers to this <laughs> yeah. question. And it's almost like this. Oh, no, no, it's just a mystery. It's like, no, no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's just a mystery. Mystery can be a way of getting out of doing rational well, it thought. Can, it can be a way of getting out of conclusions that we don't want to be true. Yeah. And I think that maybe is where we have to wrestle with when we talk about, again, balance and discernment mm-hmm. and navigating the complexities is this uninformed ignorance can look a lot like bumping up against the limits of reason if you don't have the tools to understand the difference. So the courage to move forward using the full capacities of our reason, but also realizing that we're limited human beings, we simply will not know everything. And even what we do know is filtered through all sorts of limiting factors, like just how we were raised, our experiences in life, things like that. And I, th- I do believe that in the life of faith, exercising reason is a really good thing. And to do so with the understanding that the ultimate object is the mystery of God. And I don't think, I have no interest in trying to escape that. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable throwing out ideas. And I think, you know, we joke sometimes, Jared, you and I about yeah, we just ask questions. We don't give answers. Well, there's sort of a reason for that for me, because I mean, I, there are some things I want to give answers to. I think Paul meant this. I really think Jesus meant that. I think this is what's going on in Chronicles or something. But that's a very different thing than saying, I am now certain I have answers to all the core questions of our humanity and I get God, you know? Right. So there has to be then trust, which is it blind trust? No, it's a trust that I think is learned over years of realizing how limited we are, right. especially given the topic. We are actually talking about the most expansive topic possible, bigger than the cosmos. I wonder if there's sometimes this defensiveness for people, and this is I'm going to say this at risk of sounding arrogant, <laughs> but I wonder sometimes if the overconfidence or the feeling that we need to have certainty or know things is an assumption that the people around us know more than we do. Like, I wonder if there's an insecurity of, oh, everyone seems to know something I don't know. Because, I I mean, I felt like that for a lot of my childhood, just feeling like, oh, no, everyone has, it seems like there's people that I'm around that have certainty, that have knowledge, especially if you grew up in an evangelical tradition. They give that impression. They give the impression that they do have it. Yeah, gotcha. And so everyone's sort of walking around pretending like they know more than they do, not because they necessarily want to or because they're arrogant or anything like that. It's just because... I don't want to be ashamed or I kind of want to keep up with the Joneses, so to right. speak. And I so think there's think, a sociological community kind of factor. I think in this? so, because what I wanted to, this is the part where I might get in trouble for being arrogant is I think there's a certain level of education and understanding that comes where at some point for me, I'll just say, I won't throw you under the bus. I came to the realization like, Oh, we're all in the same boat. No one has certainty about this stuff. I can talk to the top physicist And if you talk to a true expert, as we've had on the podcast a lot, it can be kind of frustrating because they have disclaimers for everything. They they don't come out and say, well, it's definitely this. They'll say, well, the archaeological evidence sort of points us in this direction. Quit being wishy-washy. Right. But that's every expert in a field. That's how they talk. They know that. Right. Right. And so I just think when you get to, it's almost like we're climbing to the top of this mountain. At some point, if you have the opportunity, privilege, or whatever it is to get to that in a field, you kind of get to the summit and you're like, oh, 
it never ends. Like mm-hmm. we're not certain mm-hmm. about this. We just, we have this, you know, pile of evidence that points in a certain way and we've learned right. how to read that evidence, but it doesn't give us that certainty that we crave. And I think that for me is where proper humility and mystery comes in, but not before that. Right. I think you have to earn the right to get to that point, which an education yeah. can take many different forms. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a formal education. No, it doesn't have to be. It can be just but experience and other well, things. And curiosity mm-hmm. and reading or talking or engaging. There are plenty of, and I'm, I say this with complete sincerity, there are plenty of educated people in my life who get that education from being humble, thoughtful people, and they read a lot and engage with people a lot. Right. So, So that can come from many different ways. But I think sometimes... Exactly what you were just talking about, Jared, when you're trained to think that all of this church, Jesus, God business is graspable. In fact, it must be grasped. When you learn stuff and you try to take that with you, that same mentality, that can drive you absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. That can put so much pressure on you, so much internal turmoil that Deep down, I know I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but I have to act like I do. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. for example, the internet. Just kidding. You know, I'm not kidding. That's true. You, know, you see that with trolls and things like that. And the- I think the trust piece for me is trusting that it's okay mm-hmm. that I don't know it all. And I think that's important because, right. yeah, what you're talking about, I, I think a lot for our listeners and I know for me coming from a context where it wasn't actually okay not to know. And so for me, trust isn't trusting in some authority to tell me. It's trusting that it's okay not to know. Like my life isn't going to be over. I'm not going to have some tragedy befall me because I don't know the ultimate meaning of the universe Mm -hmm. or what God is always up to. And that's scary. Yeah, it is. And also for me though, a little reassuring that I don't have to know that. And, And I think, again, I think you put it very well. I don't trust God as the authority to give me the answers. I try to trust God to walk through my life not expecting to have the answers. And there, you know, the cultish mentality, I can see in the question, you know, like cults sort of do that. Yeah, they do, but they don't. Mm -hmm. I I think they're also rooted very much in certainty. And now you have the answers in Waco or wherever it is, you know. Right. Um, And that's not, okay, respecting mystery is as old as the Christian faith and Judaism. Mm -hmm. It is. It's old. So, This is not new, what we're saying here. It's just a reality, I think, especially for people who have come out of, let's say, very conservative iterations of Protestant Christianity, where I think you more than me, I wasn't Mm -hmm. raised that way. I sort of went to church as a Lutheran as a kid. Like, my parents weren't fundamentalists. They were Germans. Right. Right. Which is kind of the same. Not really. Well- In different ways. In different ways, Fundamentalists about other things. (laughs) Other things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. Anyway. But, but yeah, the way I'm, I'm kind of formulating it is trusting that I know enough to be guided, but never enough to blindly trust it. Like right. it, it can be a guide. I think of it like it's dimly lit. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. you know, Paul talks about this right. a little bit to take him out of context in some ways, but there's enough to guide, but there's not enough to blindly trust. That's that wisdom. That's the in-between of the human experience. And sometimes when we are brought up in a tradition that expects perfection, then we're also brought up in a black and white world where it's either perfection or it's garbage. It's worthless. And that's just not where we are with knowledge. knowledge The only way to do that is to not know things. Right. I think that sounds snooty, but it's just not. And I don't think people who even have that framework actually live that way. They live Mm. in this gray world of learning and growing, but never knowing it all. 
Mm-hmm. And that's human. At least sometimes maybe in the quiet of their hearts, that it might not be the impression that we want to give. And I say we, not just those other people, but right. I understand this. The impression you want to give the people that you've got a handle on all this stuff. Instead of saying, I think this is how it works, but I'm not sure. And I'm not starting a cult when I say that. You know, I appreciate this question because yeah. it, it gets at a core element, an inescapable element of the nature of faith. Yeah, and I can't. I don't think we can move on without acknowledging just because when we talk about cults and, and a lot of what we're talking about, we're dancing around power dynamics too. Uh-huh. Because I do think there's a pressure. Knowledge is power, mm-hmm. and so the more we presume to know, the more we feel in power. And yeah. sometimes that's not a bad thing. If we're in a position where we feel like we don't have power it can be a really good thing to feel empowered by that knowledge. Right, exactly right, yeah. But it can also be wielded as a weapon. And that's where cults can happen. Sort of like there are personalities and people who are very good at making you feel small and ashamed if you don't know. Right. And that's the voice in our head, I think, that we need to get rid of that says, no, you know what? I do know enough to not be taken advantage of by you. Right. Yeah, but I can also still not know everything. And those are not mutually exclusive. And so when people come at you and say, well, well, don't you know? It's like, no, I don't. And I'm okay with that because I do know enough. I trust that about myself. And that's where I think this power dynamic comes in is whenever it's like, you have the knowledge, therefore you have the power. I don't have the knowledge and therefore I don't have the power. I think that's a troublesome dynamic. They just need to teach college students because they have no respect for my power at all. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They love me. They don't have any respect for my power. I have no power. That's... (laughs) <laughs> anyway i'll work on that with my team of therapists i was gonna folks. say you just yeah. you can see pete's face he just went he got lost ashen he got lost in a <laughs> looking up into the ceiling <laughs> why? why why got very pensive all uh. of a sudden did you know fast growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the u.s with more than ten thousand different kinds of plants and over two million happy customers in the u.s They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning. 
residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Well, maybe let's move to a second question. That, yeah. Again, these won't be all the same, but they have similar There's theme. a balance. Again, there's a, a, right. the word in this second one from Shelley has the word balance as well. And they said, this is more of an application question. I see many of my former church friends primarily interested in their vertical relationship with God, yet unconcerned about the horizontal relationship with others, like social justice issues. Yet we most likely need the spirit to move us toward those horizontal relationships. What's a good balance? If I can put it this way, Jesus says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. That's that vertical and that horizontal. And how do we balance that? The balance, I think, is actually part of the scriptural tradition. You just mentioned one thing. The prophetic tradition is all about the vertical, the proper worship of Yahweh, which in those days mm -hmm. meant, you know, not having high places or things like that. But how that is tied to treating your fellow Israelites justly. All the minor prophets do this kind of stuff. Yeah, Isaiah does, and they all do it. On some level, they all do it. You can't, your failure to appreciate the vertical means the horizontal is falling apart. If you think you're doing the vertical, great, but you're not doing the horizontal, you're not actually doing it. So it's, it's the embodiment of all this. And I think that's the inevitable dynamic of faith, that both of those things are present. So they don't need to be balanced. <laughs> they are the balance, right? And she mentions that there are people who are only concerned about the vertical and the horizontal is like, well, all this social justice stuff or wokeness stuff or whatever we want to talk about, this is not important. What's really important is worshiping God, whatever that means in that context. I mean, going to church and, you know, certain churches and doing certain things or youth groups or whatever that means. But the element of taking care of your neighbor who's in trouble, that is worship. You can't separate the vertical and the horizontal. They don't have to be balanced. They have to be recognized as being playing off of each other. Yeah, and it immediately makes me think of First John in chapter 4. It says, whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is yeah. a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I love you. I'm just not going to support government programs to help you. Right. Right. That, I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. The, yeah. I love you, but, you know, not racial tensions or economic differences are not what the gospel is about. Have you heard that? I mean, I've heard that many times. The gospel is not, oh, I don't know what the Beatitudes say. <laughs> well, there's a way to run roughshod over all here and now, present day ways practically of loving our neighbor. And that is the trump card of heaven and hell. That's how it was presented mm -hmm. to me. The, the best way I know to love you, all this stuff is ephemeral. It's temporary. It's going to go away. Don't polish the, the brass of the sinking ship. Right. The best way to love you mm -hmm. is to get you into heaven. 
And the, the only way I know to get you into heaven is to get you to understand Jesus the way I understand Jesus right. and exactly say a right. prayer accepting that Jesus. You nailed it. That's right. That's exactly right. So all this other stuff is not important, but I think the people typically saying what you just said are themselves not suffering. Yes, it's a privilege. You can afford to wonder about the balance between the two if you're in a position of power and privilege. Exactly what the prophets are talking about, the and, people who aren't privileged. And the the language of that kind of argument, what it does is it, it actually eradicates the horizontal, the relationship between mm-hmm. neighbors, and subsumes it under the relationship of the vertical. Meaning, mm-hmm. the only way I know to love you well is actually to focus on God. And then in that way, you're erased. Like but you're I'm invisible. Hungry. Right. And I have no place to live. I know that's so... And I can't get a job. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or, but I do feel like in some traditions it becomes an either or of like, mm-hmm. with this idea of like, I, you're just saying, but I was hungry. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's another place in scripture. Like it's in the New Testament right. all over the place mm-hmm. that this relationship with God is meant for an expression amongst people. Right. I think part of the notion that these are two things that have to be balanced, I think, comes from, you know, you did your series on the making of the modern mind. It comes from an overly intellectualized version of the Christian faith, which is, I think, much of conservative Protestant Christianity Mm -hmm. is very into. I don't think their arguments are good. I don't think they make points that to me are persuasive, but they are all about making points and thought and how do you think this and how do you interpret this and what do you say and what's your doctrine of this, your doctrine of that. That is what introduces the very, well, how do I balance this with this other stuff? Well, who cares about the marginalized? You know, it's just having right doctrine. I think there's stuff in the Bible about having doctrine but not helping other people, right? James, you know, just... right. Believing, you know, is great, but show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And I and I know there's some tensions there with Paul. Gotta love the New Testament, people arguing with each other, but still, and that's a very Jewish way of thinking that James is highlighting there in, in the epistle. So it's a fantasy mm-hmm. to think they have to be balanced. Well, and I wanna go I wanna take it one more shot at this line of thinking. And then I want to maybe jump to a different part of this question. And that is, you know, Shelley said, we most likely need the spirit to move us toward those horizontal relationships. I just want to challenge that because that line of thinking is what led me to think when I was younger, atheists can't be good. All atheists are horrible people. Mm -hmm. And the only reason we're not all just out murdering people and having orgies on the street, like like it's the purge, mm-hmm. 365 <laughs> days a year, is because of Jesus yeah. and the Bible. Because what that does, one, is it puts people in a frenzy politically. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very practical. Like, yeah. that's why we have to have the Bible in school. Because without the Bible in school, all these bad things happen. Because right. without, like, as though Christianity is a dam that's holding back all yes, of human exactly right. evil. And then what it does is it demonizes people who don't believe in God. Because mm-hmm. once you have that as the narrative... You run into people who don't believe in God Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I can't trust you. You're just one step away from utter chaos. Right. Well, in in our culture, I'm thinking of our Faith for Normal People episode with Rhett and Jesse. Yeah. Where Jesse said she was scared once Rhett said, I don't, you know, I don't think I buy into all this. She was on her toes because her tradition taught her to think that now Rhett's going to become a horrible, wretched person. Right. Right. But she also trusted him because she knew him. She loved him. She, Mm -hmm. she knew him. 
And so for a while, there was this tension of like, which is going to win out? And mm-hmm. it turned out, no, he is. He's a good guy. Right, right. <laughs> and so I just think that narrative of we need the spirit, we need a relationship with two. So there may not be balance, but I would also say it may not even always be connected. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to have a relationship with God in the Protestant conservative thinking of that in order to love people well. There are people who love people well who are not religious. Now, some would say God is working through them anyway. Which was which fine. I actually agree with. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. Yeah, but there's no overt right. attempt to worship God, and I will now reflect this. It's, I just think we're overthinking all this. It doesn't even have to go there. Just try to follow God by not being a jerk. That's really what it comes down to as far as I'm concerned, which is right. hard, by the way. Trust so me. So I want to broaden this, though, real quick. Because for those of, of you who are listening, and in my brain, it's not always so specific to religious expression. And what I mean by it is this. There's a, often a tension between the contemplative life and the activist life. Mm-hmm. And that's what this question made me think of. There are those who lean more toward activism, mm-hmm. which I would consider that horizontal relationship. Mm-hmm. They're out there saying the best expression of my spirituality, even if it's not religious, not maybe specifically Christian, Mm -hmm. but my good in the world, my meaning comes from activism, going out on behalf of those who, you know, the marginalized and the oppressed and doing good political change, political action. And then there are those who are saying, no, my life doesn't lean toward using that energy to make changes outwardly, but changes inwardly. The mm-hmm. contemplative life right. is about changing me inside right. to become more content and more at peace on the inside. Now, I think historically those have been opposed. I think more and more, I think of Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. the Center for Action and Contemplation. Right. And in that way, I see that being more of a polarity. Um, and by polarity, I mean things that seem to be at odds with each other, but actually mutually reinforce each other. Mm-hmm. And those do seem to be, when you broadly define it, I think more connected in the mm-hmm. sense that It's kind of the idea of a mother who needs to put her face mask on when pressure decreases in an airplane so that then she can put the face mask on her child. That is, I think, that relationship between contemplation where I have to be at peace with myself Mm -hmm. in order to bring peace to others. That seems to be in a good relationship. And in that sense, I don't think they're opposed. But they can be in tension because how much time are you going to spend toward contemplation? Well, we're humans. Right, there's a limitation of energy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week, and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital, and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways, and that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy, and I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BNP. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose and it's just my throat hurts and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescriptive strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Want to move on to another question here, Jared? So, okay, this is, um, it has to do with Paul. This is from Chris. Uh, one of Paul's favorite contrasting metaphors is the idea of weakness and strength. What can we glean from these passages today that would teach us something in a modern context? I used to default to lean on Christ, but I no longer know what this looks like post-deconstruction. I would argue I don't truly know what it was prior either, just going through the motions. And this fits in this theme because, again, we have this weakness versus strength, this how do we balance these things? And mm -hmm. my first stab at this is, I think the contrast here is, when do we trust ourselves? When do we trust others? Mm -hmm. And we can put God in that other category. What does it mean to, you know, again, not to keep picking on this refrain, but I grew up in a tradition that said, do not, you know, lean on your own understanding. And so there was this built-in culture where we don't trust our own feelings. We don't trust ourselves. We lean on Christ. That weakness is strength. The more I don't trust myself and the more weak I am, the more God can shine through me and mm -hmm. show God's right. strength. Again, this is where people who are really sincere got burned the most mm -hmm. in that tradition, because I do think wisdom would maybe call us to discern where sometimes we need to trust more in our own intuitions and our own gut and our own stuff. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't need to do that. We need to lean on a community or discern within other people's opinions what the right thing to do is. And so that's why this fits, is this mm -hmm. weakness versus strength, I think, fits into this larger paradigm, mm -hmm. which I think is what Chris is talking about, around can we trust ourselves or do we trust Christ? What's the difference between that? Yeah, I mean, one of my children had an experience uh, years ago with a mentor, a trusted mentor, a good person who wasn't particularly religious. And one of my children said that, I just want to trust Jesus for X, Y, and Z. And she was told, uh, you have to learn to trust yourself. And We've had a chance to talk about that since then. And I think my approach to that was, I'm not sure if those are mutually exclusive. Trust myself. Well, what if we're human beings who have experiences and intuition and thoughts and impulses that are, and insights and things like that. And we have to trust ourselves. I mean, how much damage has been done to people by being told you can't trust yourself? You can trust me. Right. Well, that goes back to our first question that we had around mystery and reason. Mm -hmm. is like, oh, no, you can just 
just trust me, I know more. The man behind the curtain you, right. kind of thing, right? And, you know, abuse comes from that and tremendous harm to people. And I think just a dehumanizing. You know, one thing, um, you know, we're on TikTok now, as you know. Mm-hmm. As everybody who listens to everyone, now, sure. But so, you know, I follow a couple of atheist TikToks mm-hmm. and... I think that's a theme where I was told my whole life that what I thought and felt and experienced didn't matter. I just need to stay in line. Like, yeah, I don't blame you for getting out of there, right? That's not a humanizing, and something that's not humanizing is wrong. You should never dehumanize people or try to manipulate them or control them. That's a cultish mentality. Yeah. It also reminds me of the work of Kenneth Pargament, who is a psychologist. Uh-huh. I read a couple of papers he wrote, I don't know, probably 15 years ago. Because, I, I mean, if you want the whole backstory, I was leading a group around God's will. I was leading a small group when I was a pastor on God's will, and I was using Kevin DeYoung's. Isn't he the reformed guy? I think so. Yeah. 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 He wrote a book on God's will, and we were using that. And I didn't like it that much. And so I started doing some other research at the time. And I, I came across Kenneth Pargament. And he did research on how people describe their relationship with God when they're in a crisis. After interviewing all these people, there were three real clear themes. There was a group of people who would say in a crisis, they went into Jesus take the wheel mode. Yes. Meaning, my hands are off of this God has to do something. Mm -hmm. It is not in my power to do anything. Please, Jesus, take the wheel. Then there was the group on the other side who said, God hasn't done anything. I'm pretty angry about that. I'm going to do it all myself. I'm putting it all on me. And then there was the group in the middle that said, in the midst of a crisis, I need God's help to discern the way forward. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's my responsibility. And his research indicates that the outcomes were much better kind of mentally and emotionally for the people who took that third route. And for me, I just... The balanced route. The balanced route. Say, and right? again, I, I'm, you know, careful about that because again, in the political sphere, the sinner is not always the right thing. But in this case, that really struck a chord with me. Here I am talking about it 15 years later because it's so practical. It doesn't have to be just in a crisis. Mm-hmm. It can be in anything. This relationship is more of a partnership where the spirit of God is working within my reason, but ultimately it's my decision. Ultimately it's my responsibility. Mysteriously. I mean, not to throw that that word around, but I don't even know what that means. What does it mean for like, how does God relate to us? I don't know. Really? I mean, not to get too, you don't have like a voice in your head all the time. I do, but not, I don't (laughs) think it's God. You you learned a long time ago. That's not God. That's my voice because it drives me crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. What does that even mean? What does it even mean? Or to, and that really comes down to, what do you think God is? Right. I mean, all this stuff, I and mean, we're not going to get into that today, but that itself is an ongoing theological task to try to understand the relationship between God and world. Right. God and us and just God and everything, yeah. right? And we have, I think, sometimes, I mean, who doesn't have poorly formed notions of that? I know I do. But those can lead us in, in directions that are not always helpful where we have these dichotomies and then we seek balance for them, right? So, and sometimes our habits are just hard to break. Oh, I know yeah. someone who they, whatever you want to say, had a face shift, deconstructed away from a view of God that like God intervenes on behalf of people regularly. And yet still, when they pray, they pray as though that's still true. And it's like, yeah, these are just hard habits to break. Because I think it's so deeply ingrained, that idea of what are we talking about when we're talking about God? And I think you raise a great point. 
Not only that, it's not just abstract, but how does God relate to us? When you get down to the mechanics of it, is it a voice? Is it a feeling? Is it our intuition? Right. <laughs> right. I and, mean. and for me, a lot of how I've learned to be talking about this, just being part of a, a Mennonite congregation, for me, it's very communal. It's within the group. Well, that's it's very It's not really an point. individual, not just individual right. thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's been important. Well, yeah. let me say one more thing there. I think that the Jesus take the wheel approach mm-hmm. isn't always wrong. Hot take. Hot, hot take t- from Pete. Yeah. I think sometimes people are just, they're so beaten down. They just don't have, they don't know what to do next. Well, think about it in the context of like a 12-step program. That idea of surrender, that my life is unmanageable. Yes, right. That is that moment. You don't have to say, Jesus, take the wheel. It's the function of it. It's the point is to say, my life is unmanageable. And then the 12 steps go on to take accountability. Yeah. And before that's why those two things aren't right. The one can lead to the other. And that's really what I'm after. It's a process. It's not the way I approach every decision. What's wisdom? God, please give me that parking space so I can make it to the movie on time. Or I want to get that sale at the mall. You know, I mean, I'm joking, but there are people like that. Many people. Well, and when I was a kid, the more you ask God to do in the little things, the more spiritual you were. Right. So to ask God literally to give you the parking spot. Mm-hmm. was a sign of spiritual health, because that means you were thinking about God in the minutia of your day, which is the point. And that's very much a pre-modern understanding of God up there in the sky looking down, which has been made very difficult since the 19th century, at least, if not before. Right. right? I mean, way back. I mean, people were talking about this stuff, but just for us in our context, it's hard to think that way. And all these sort of tentacles reach out and strangle you if you start thinking along those lines. And what if we take off the table, the God is sort of like Alfred the butler, who if you ask him enough times nicely, he'll have to do something for you, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that Jesus has the widow's might, you know, and the woman insistent on this kinds of thing. And, And I understand that. I think that's part of speaking to deeply marginalized people saying, God cares for you. Right. And I don't think we should ever let go of that, but we're talking about something different here. We're talking about a lifestyle where maybe you don't trust yourself and you don't take, that's different. Mm -hmm. That's not being down and out and being persecuted, truly persecuted. It's, you just think the way to go through life is to like, I'm nothing, I'm empty, I'm sinful, I have nothing to offer this. And I think that's against the biblical witness as well. But anyway. Yeah. 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 I think we should be done. I think so. I think we've pontificated. I think that was great. I think think we've pontificated enough here, folks, but yeah, that was fun. I, first of all, a shout out. I appreciate, there's so many thoughtful people in the world and they don't let us forget it. They keep asking us questions, you know, and And most of them are part of the society of normal people. It's nice being a part of a community that asks questions like this, which are the same questions that we ask and other questions, you know, and, you know, a safe place for people to just express themselves. And And this is, Again, this is a a call. It sounds like we're trying to sell society here, but I think in general, it's just a call to say, keep asking the questions. Do that online. Do it in your communities. Do it in your churches. Keep exploring. Because as you know, Pete, you often say, theology is the asking of questions and having the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to put our arms around because we want to get to a a landing place. We were sort of told that theology is in the answers, but theology is in the conversation and Mm -hmm. conversation is driven by questions, not answers. All right. All right. Thanks everyone. 
Well, thanks to everyone who supports the show. If you want to support what we do, there are three ways you can do it. One, if you just want to give a little money, go to thebiblefornormalpeople.com front slash give. And if you want to support us and want a community, classes, and other great resources, go to thebiblefornormalpeople.com forward slash join. And lastly, it always goes a long way if you just wanted to rate the podcast, leave a review, and tell others about our show. You've just made it through another episode of The Bible for Normal People. Don't forget, you can also catch the latest episode of our other show, Faith for Normal People, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was brought to you by the Bible for Normal People podcast team. Brittany Prescott, Savannah Locke, Stephanie Spate, Natalie Wyant, Stephen Henning, Tessa Stoltz, Haley Warren, Nick Striegel, and Jessica Schau. 